Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. And you know, David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know, we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because, well, great sex matters and we all deserve it we sure do so are you still intrigued by the kinkiness of 50 shades of gray perhaps you're looking for more credible information about the kink and bdsm lifestyle well on today's show we get to dive deep into a new documentary which provides a glimpse into the real world of the dominatrix the sub the slave and the newbie opening up in a commun- opening up a community that is widely misunderstood judged and shamed for their practices, providing an opportunity to help normalize discussions about kink and BDSM, and perhaps even ask questions like, would we? Could we? Should we? Hmm, love that question. We'll get into that in a minute. But as we do on every show, let me tell you about our must-have top waterproof blanket, which now comes in four reversible colors because nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot and score it as hot until it's not. So if you're fed up with having to sleep in that wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils, silicone lubes, and all other sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply go to Amazon and search for Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket and order yours today. Great sex starts now. It sure does. And and before we forget, we want to invite you to join us with April and Scott from the Naughty Gym as they host their first full takeover of Hedonism 2 in Jamaica for the week of January 6th to 13th, 2024. We're going to be broadcasting on location for this Sexy Fitness Week. And for more information about this trip, you can go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, and we'll hopefully meet you while we're all there together having a blast. Alrighty, enough of these ads. Let's get on with the show. You know, we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we have a really, really special guest for you today. Todd Max Carey, film producer, director, and editor, has just finished a new documentary called Touch, and it's all about the underground world of kink and BDSM, and it's going to be launched very soon in Montreal's Film Festival, July 30th of this year. Absolutely. All right, Max, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day um, and getting behind the scenes into your film. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, chat with you lovely folks. Terrific. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the world of kink and BDSM? Sure. Um, It's funny. I mean, the more I've studied it, the more I understand it a little differently than a lot of people. Um, I was a weird kid uh, who just kind of did what he wanted to do. It didn't really fit in very well with the people around me, and I couldn't quite figure out what that was all about wasn't particularly interested in doing what other people wanted me to do or what society told me to do. And 
when you're a teenager, that's a very bad thing. Um, and then I got a little older and started having an opportunity to travel and realizing that I'm sort of a naturally dominant person. I like to just do what I like to do. And I don't need to have that feeling of being uh, fitting in. And when I became aware of what, you know, it, well, I guess, I mean, it's so obvious to most people, but at the time, I suppose I thought more, everyone thought more or less the same. Uh, and then when I started realizing that actually, no, um, a lot of people think in a lot of different ways and value things very differently. And I realized that was who I was. I wouldn't have called it dominant at the time or, or alpha or whatever the hell they want to call it nowadays. But I just knew that I liked that. And then I read a book by Jay Wiseman, SM 101, when I was probably 30. And, my, and one of the first things he says, is, if you happen to be a dominant, you're very lucky because there happens to be less of those. I'm like, oh, this is all fitting in. So I, I would say I've been sort of kinky in terms of the relationship aspect and preferences since all since I was born, um, being aware of what it was and what the lifestyle was about and the, the gifts and the, the, the beauty of it, you know, came with time. Um, so I started that journey, learned about kink and traveled and had a lot of wonderful adventures all over the world. And uh, seven years ago, I happened to bump into a dominatrix that was something I, a person I'd never met before. And uh, that led me into, heck, I'm going to do a documentary about this. And you are a documentary producer, correct? Oh, I've made, uh, I'm actually uh, what's called a post-production guy. Uh, I've spent almost all of my life working what's called below the line, which is doing editing, uh, location scouting, kind of everything. Above the line is like director, actors, that kind of. Below the line is kind of like the guy that builds the house, not the guy that designs the house. So I've always been the guy that built the house, but I've never been a guy that designed the house, use, continuing with the metaphor. So, yeah, I've been in the industry my whole life, but this is my directorial debut. <laughs> oh, very, very cool. And uh, how long have you been in the film industry? Like, how, how many years is that? Do you need a flight to ask someone their age? Uh, no, uh, let's see. <laughs> kind I, of. I, I, uh, yeah, it's okay. I don't mind. Um, I actually started in 1986. So what are we talking about now? Almost 40 years now. Wow. Wow. Very, uh, very 35, cool. I guess. I worked in Vancouver. I got very lucky. And uh, there was a huge film industry explosion in Vancouver at the time. So I got to do post-production and services for tons of big companies and projects then. And uh, I always said I'd never be crazy enough to be a director. <laughs> uh -huh. Until you did, right? Right. Until I did, yeah, exactly. But I think it's kind of cool because you must have had your own vision. I always think of the director as the visionary of the final product. So I kind of get that you had the vision of what you wanted to produce. And um, so therefore, it goes hand in hand that you being the director kind of makes sense. Yeah, well, the truth is I've always just been interested in lots of things. So um, I've got the opportunity to, to explore lots of different worlds, you know, working as a location scout, working as a fixer, these kinds of things. But with this particular project, it felt a lot more personal. And it uh, there was a really personal connection that started it. And it just kind of, you know, some things just become more, more than you expect. So this sort of grabbed me and sort of pulled me along and, and sort of weird and wonderful things happen to make it happen as well. So, you know, I don't know if you believe in fate, but it does seem like I was fated to actually direct this and do this because uh, 
seemed like my whole life kind of added up to this uh, trying to understand this for myself well, and we, we, understand we, this for other people and share it. We absolutely believe in fate and things are meant to happen. Um, when they happen, we're not 100% sure, but they do happen. And, you know, we were privileged to have you send us a copy of the film. We used it on our date night over the weekend. <laughs> we watched it and it was absolutely um, fantastic. We sat there. We were, I mean, we, we live in the alternative lifestyle. We do not live in the alternative kink and BDSM lifestyle. So for us, we learned a ton from what you put together, the way it was edited, the way the story was told, the stories were told, and we'll get into that a little bit later, was absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, one of the questions we had is, you know, what was your main objective for putting a film like this together? Um, it started off with meeting this dominatrix by the name of January Seraph. And I thought I knew a lot. I traveled a lot. I thought I knew a lot. And when I just having one evening talking about what her life was, I became really apparent that no matter how smart I thought or how much I thought I knew, how little I did know. And I, I realized that I also had had my own prejudices, my own ideas. I thought I was so open-minded, but there was this thing, you know, the female domination and dominators, it seemed a bit weird to me. And I realized I sh shouldn't think that way. And that just, she suggested that I do a film sort of demystifying kink on a wider sense, because even kinky people, they're into what they're into. If they're into spanking, they know everything about spanking, figure everyone else is weird. They're into latex, they're into latex, and they figure out everyone else is weird. They're into rope, they're into rope, and they figure everyone else is weird. You know, it seems to be... It would be lovely if it was one big unified community of open-minded individuals, as it should be, but it's not. It's people learn what they learn, and they like what they like. And I wanted to find some sort of universal truth, some sort of universal idea that answered questions like, can you slap a girl in the bum anymore? Can you, how do you do these things? How do you, whatever. And like, what is the universal? Because a lot of people now are growing up with just don't do it. Well, that's not going to be any fun for anybody. Exactly. And yeah. surely there's got to be a better way. So, you know, obviously they realized very early that, well, kink was actually geeky interactions. It was sort of a geeky approach to sexuality. It's like, hello, may I give you a compliment? <laughs> hello, may I, you know, how do you feel about uh, the spanking? Oh, do you, you like that? Okay. And like, you know, just to have those conversations, then realize that it's wonderfully freeing because we live in a society where it seems that culture wants to give us easy yes, no answers, but those don't exist no. and they're no fun anyway. So it's better to sure start with that, but at the same time have some mechanism by which you could have more frank and open conversations with people. Now, you know, so she started off on that and uh, it just grew. And then I became more fascinated with trying to find a universal field theory, a universal theory that, sort of explains it all, uh, for me at least. And uh, yeah, it just became passion. Very cool. But of course, so many people have seen Fifty Shades of Grey, but um, did you look at that in any way? Did you want to make sure that you did a better job than that? Like, how did that influence what you wanted to do with this t topic? Uh, I guess I should look at the film. I, I scanned it. Um, and it's actually true. I, I should actually watch the film, I suppose. Um, for me, it was uh, useful in the sense that when I started this 
project, it was kind of the bellwether. If I met somebody for the first time, I'd say, so what do you think of Fifty Shades of Grey? And they would go, A, I love it. B, I hate it. C, they're free, whatever. And, and from that, you get a sense of, are these people ready for the next conversation? Some people said, yeah, it was okay, but they needed, this was the cliches, these were the problems. And then that was always a, a green light. You know, so I, I never really, I, I didn't watch it. I, to be honest, it's embarrassing to say I've never actually watched it. Um, but <laughs> I've, I've heard about it, I can, and, and it was the bellwether. It was the way to broach the conversation. Cool. Right. So um, we've been in the swinging lifestyle for 17 odd years. We've tried a whole bunch of different businesses. Um, obviously, we're doing a podcast. Um, at one time, we had attempted to write a movie for Hollywood um, all about the swinging lifestyle. And one of the things that kept coming up was nobody was willing to put money towards anything related to sex or sexuality. How did you find financing to put this together? And it's really a professionally done documentary. And congratulations yeah. to you on it. Yeah, that's it's always the problem. It's ironic that something so natural and so literally pivotal to our existence in, in every way, shape, and form is something that's still largely taboo in, in America. It, it's beyond logic. But aside from that, um, I was actually approached by a kinky dating app that was interested in hiring me to market their product. And I looked at their product and I said to them quite honestly that I didn't think it was very good. Um, but I would happily, you know, advise them how to do it. But they had to understand that if you really wanted to be successful in getting the kink community behind it, you had to understand that there's basically three kinds of people. There's people that, you know, are motivated by money and you sponsor them and they'll happily do it. There's people that are motivated by um societal wanting to do something good for the society so if you do something good for the group they're motivated and that was my documentary you know so well why don't i do a documentary in this help and then you have people that are motivated by wanting their own ego and their own whatever there which again the documentary so i convinced them that money wasn't enough if they sponsored the documentary they would be more successful in penetrating the market i was very successful i got 1.6 million people wow to try their app um, and they uh, they finance the documentary. Wow, very, very cool. That's interesting. I mean, that's yeah. kind of a knowing your industry and knowing the kink world and putting all that together kind of. Exactly, exactly. And it, it's, uh, you know, I would love, it was just, you know, the other is just getting lucky and finding somebody in that position because I'm, I'm farther along now. I have more kudos and laurels now, and I'm having a hard time finding that kind of funding for the next one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes it's just a question of getting lucky too. And, and how long did it actually take you to write your plan and find the people, do your filming, editing. and now, yeah, and the editing, and now you're about to launch? How long did all that process take? Yeah. Um, well, the the production took about a year. I did uh, 110 days of filming all over the world. Um, then editing sort of started in earnest. Um, the actual time was around two and a half years. But of course, there was, you know, life has a way of throwing you curveballs. And it threw me more than a few curveballs. So it took a little longer than that. But, you know, about two and a half years of actual time over the course of seven. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow, cool. that, that's long. It's a dedicated project for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we all suffered through COVID. That was a big issue for a lot of people and different things happened along the way. I don't know how much you want to get into that stuff, but um, yeah, it takes what it takes. Uh, normally, it shouldn't take more than two and a half to three years mm-hmm. to do something like this. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we spoke about the release being in uh, July, uh, July 30th, 2023, which is coming up very soon. Um, once it's released, where are people going to be able to watch it? Well, I'm on what's called the film festival circuit right now. I'd actually been uh, selected for numerous film festivals before this. I chose to decline earlier festivals because Fantasia here in Montreal is considered one of the 50 best in the world. It's also three weeks long, and I happen to live here, so my hotel bill is going to be really reasonable. Um, Beyond that, I have a number of other film festivals over the next six months. you know, I've had offers all over the world for the film. Nothing that's so exciting yet that my agent has recommended that I take them. Um, it, it kind of seems to, from what I mean, this is again new to me. So uh, um, this part of the process, but I was lucky enough to get an agent fairly quickly. And my agent seems to kind of be advising me as to how to do it and the rest of it. And the offers haven't been that spectacular yet. Uh, and a lot of it's going to boil down to how big the bang is at the world premiere. Cool. You know, so I guess people are just going to have offers go up or down. People are just going to have to stay tuned to our podcast. And once you know uh, when Netflix picks it up, uh, we will let everyone know. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Absolutely. So you have yeah, a lot of great. A- you have a lot of great characters in the movie. Um, we know a couple of them. Uh, we're actually good friends with Goddess Phoenix, who's been on our podcast many times. But how did you get the King BDSM community members to participate in your film? Um, I was actually surprised how many people were so willing. I guess January Seraf, who was my partner in the beginning of the project, sort of vouched for me, I guess. And then that introduced me to more people. And then as people did interviews with me or talked to me or got to know me, they kind of vouched for me as well. Um, And it seems to be that it's like, just don't be an asshole and treat people well. And eventually, you know, people will be open up a little bit to you. So um, yeah, January started it Uh, about four months into the production. I fell in love with a fairly famous dominatrix, uh who you know helped me you know open it up to even more people so uh i think it was just personal connections um people you know it would have been easy to make a story about how crazy people are but i wasn't asking those kinds yeah, of questions right. yeah i would so you agree could, you could see like it wasn't like you know so how has kink ruined your life or how does being a swinger ruined your life like i mean it's pretty obvious if someone's asking how it's ruined your life they're not looking to be an honest portrayal of your, your thing. If it's, you know, what are you here? What do you worry about? What do you, uh, what is it for you? You know, and trying to be open and honest that way. And uh, yeah, well, I think uh, it just seemed to grow. I actually had one person who wanted to do it anonymously. And that was only because the person was in a school district that Mm -hmm. uh, isn't exactly uh, very Mm open-minded and it could hurt their job. So, And the thing is that people are very curious about what goes on behind closed doors and they want to see the real thing that's going on. They don't just need to see the most extreme, crazy thing people are doing, but I think you had a good variety. You really provided a lot of different scenes that people can actually learn from and and satisfy that curiosity because people are wondering what goes on. 
Yeah, I wanted to keep it as PG as possible, too, though. I I often make the analogy that the uh, LGBTQ community didn't get acceptance by showing lots of hardcore interactions. It was more that, hey, we're people, too. We like what we like. And uh, you know what? We don't actually have horns or anything. We're actually nice people. And that was always my approach as well. It's like I showed a little stuff, but I didn't get it very hardcore at all. And that was my intention. I have lots of harder core material that I chose not to use. Um, I just wanted to say, like, this is the kind of thing they like. You don't need to know the nitty gritty, the details. You don't have to watch the hide the salami or whatever. You can, (laughs) you know, it's just these are cool people. This is what their intention is and why they like it. And uh, so I I focused on that and uh, people appreciated that as well, I think. Cool. So, you know, Carol mentioned earlier Fifty Shades of Grey. And so, so you know, the world, I believe, knows a little bit about the kink and BDSM world and some of the um, apparatuses that are used, which, which are shown in, in your documentary as well. But let's just back up a little bit and clarify for those who really don't understand, what exactly is kink and BDSM? And is it for couples or singles? Let's start there. Well, kink is a funny word because it's sort of self-cannibalizing by definition it's a minority sexual interest which means that anybody because things like blind pretty much everyone's done a blindfold at this point that's no longer kinky right uh pretty much everybody has probably used a necktie to tie their partner at some point now certainly the majority so actually technically bondage is no longer kinky either um, the general concept is that it's supposed to be something that not everyone does, but the funny thing is most of the things are things that everyone do. It really does just a matter of like, more like, do you do it a lot or you've only right. done it once or twice? Right. You know, right. statistically I've seen around 10% of people practice kink uh, practices on a regular basis and 35% uh, have played or are thinking about it are interesting. So we're, we're, we're getting very close to it actually not being a minority then underneath the umbrella of kink comes, you could argue, some would argue, I suppose, that swinging is a kink. Um, BDSM is a kink. Uh, you, uh, I would argue that wanting to be a great pianist and spending your entire life composing music is a bit of a kink. I mean, it's <laughs> sort of a, it's just something that you really turns you on, makes you feel alive. And it's not always about an orgasm. It's about just some strong sensation that you're, you're looking for. And the words BDSM or the acronym BDSM stand for? Uh, BDSM stands for bondage, domination. Uh, well, actually, let me get this right now. Bondage, discipline, and sadomasochism are the old definition. Um, some people will also take the two middle level, level uh, words. <laughs> sorry. Uh, BS for dominance and submission. So it's it, the, the B is bondage, D can be discipline or can be dominance. The S can be the beginning of SM or submission. Right. Uh, that's largely what it is. Um, and there's a big difference between BDSM folks sometimes and fetishists sometimes. And fetishists and BDSM folks both come under the umbrella of kink, but they're a little bit different they have different values and interests yeah, it's it, it's interesting that you know you said how people look at it or see it because you know we've had discussions many times being in the lifestyle and you know we play with couples we go into orgies we you know have sex with all different people but if you were to ask a couple on the street who might have had a threesome they wouldn't say they're in the lifestyle but you know 
a threesome is part and parcel in terms of doing something that's a little non-monogamous, right? Right, exactly. It's sharing your partner, which means that's not monogamy. It, it's not the social norm, is it? Or no, it, and it's it's silly. It's silly because I mean, pretty much every guy has thought about it. Yeah, and wants to do not. it. <laughs> so you know, and I think this is one of the things that the biggest thing people need to figure out or worry is you can be two people. You can be the person, sort of a public person, and you can have some very private alternative interests, and those are not mutually exclusive. Esther Perel said it best in her book *Mating in Captivity* that there's nothing politically correct about the erotic mind. Now, I'm not going to tell you my naughty fantasies, um, but they're mine and I don't feel guilty about them. I'm not going to tell other people those things because, and I can have those things as long as they're consensual and they're, they're, they're done in an ethical manner, even though they might seem unethical in some cases, I suppose, but in a consensual way they are. Um, but you, you can have both of those things. And that's the problem. People have want to be one thing. Well, I'm, I'm always like this. Nobody is always like that. Mm. Nobody's always like anything. And I feel sorry for you if you think you are. And that leads to the frustration that a lot of people have. And to your point about um, uh, swinging, it's like, I, I, I don't know if a guy hasn't at least thought about something with another partner. So theoretically, swinging on a, at least intellectual level is probably not a kink because it's probably the majority. Yeah, you're you know, probably right. Yeah. Just having the courage and the language and the understanding to be able to broach those subjects with your partner uh, and to have have honest comment. And that was the, the most important thing about this movie for me is to just establish a model you to have these conversations that we're going to talk. Like, can we have a safe space here? Can I talk about anything? Can I feel that like you're not going to judge me? Can we like just talk about whatever openly? You don't want to do that? Fine, we won't. Uh, you do great. Well, then if we're going to do this, let's do this. You know, here are my crazy thoughts. What are your crazy thoughts? Is there some crazy thoughts that we can link up on here? And we might want to come up with something to consent to try. Great. You know, but to have that process by which you can have honest conversations and you can find those things uh, that connect, connect people. And I think people will be happier, whatever it is, right. swinging, it could be baseball, whatever. I mean, just whatever people are passionate about. So going back to defining or at least elucidating some of the those aspects of kink and BDSM, uh, would you call this a sexual lifestyle? Uh, it is for some and isn't for others. Um, that was actually one of the surprises for me, I suppose, too. I mean, I for me, it was always sexual. Um, I was a little suspicious as I learned more and more people it's not. Um, I actually thought, yeah, you just don't want to be, you just don't want to tell me that's cool. You're just like, but no, for a lot of people, it is not sex. Um, my universal field theory, my universal sort of theory for all of this now is pretty simple to try and understand kink or any lifestyle for that matter is that, you know, it's three parts. It's, um, what turns you want? You like the idea of a uh, threesome, foursome, fivesome, or you like the idea of leather, latex. Like when you get excited, I mean, you can share, you don't have to share, but what's going on in your mind? What are you thinking about? A sound, a smell, whatever. What's the focus? What's the thing that can be a complicated thing, but it's the thing that's sort of getting you turned on and activated. Second thing, and I call that red. Um, then there's green. It's your nature. Are you dominant? You're submissive. You're somebody who likes to be poly. You're somebody who likes to serve. You're... 
you know, what is your nature? And that can be gay, straight. I mean, I get in big trouble when I talk about uh, um, gay, straight or all this being. But I, I think that people sometimes are missing the point. I mean, it's like what you like, what you like in spite of biology, mm-hmm. you know, and that we the kink is a kind of a post gender conversation a little bit. Um so your role can be maybe you, you in that role, you want to play a certain idea, a certain thing, a school, team, whatever. And then the last thing, and this is where the sex part comes in, is really what's the sensation that you want to achieve? Some people do. They want a happy ending. They want that orgasm. They want that pure orgasmic yell. Other people actually like just feeling like they've done a good job. Mm. Other people like the idea of being humiliated. Other people like the idea of feeling like they're somehow super important and masters of the world. Other people like to feel they're creative geniuses. But it's, we all like something at a given moment, see ourselves a certain way at a certain moment, and we want a certain sensation. And that applies to everything, whether it's uh, swinging, kink, or work, or whatever. And most of the time, I would say about half the time in kink is probably is a sexual release, but not always. Mm, very, very interesting. That's a good segue just to take a quick break while we remind everybody that this is The Sexy Lifestyle and we are Carol and David and we're having a great discussion with film producer, director and editor Todd Max Carey. Coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters, where we'll be discussing more about the rules and rituals of BDSM practices. Absolutely. And um, we're going to tell you a little bit about topless travel because if you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you just have to book with topless travel. From Hedonism 2 in Jamaica to Desire in Cancun and all the Bliss Cruise adventures, topless travel needs to be your number one choice. And their trips are all about pushing boundaries and exploring your naughty side and meeting and partying with tons of sexy people. So let's just shout out to all their exclusive sexy host couples, including Party Mark, who are there to ensure that you have well, hell of, one hell of a sexy vacation. Absolutely. And you know, you find us on many of the topless travel trips, but listen up. We'll be back at Hedo 2 for their topless hedonistic Halloween event from October 21st to 28th, 2023. It's going to be a pre-Halloween week-long bash, and we'd love for you to join us there. And new for 2024, Topless Travel is putting together not one, but two bucket list trips. One, well, actually, we're going to be broadcasting from both of them. The first one, we're going to be exploring the ancient pyramids of Egypt, followed by a seven-day riverboat cruise down the Nile. And this is happening from March 2nd to 13th, 2024. And on the second bucket list trip, we'll be heading to Kenya for an African safari to witness the Great Migration. Glamping in the wild savanna from September 2 to 11, 2024. Space is very limited on both these trips. It's a very unique and uh, and um, boutique type of trip. And there's only a few spots left. Absolutely. So if you don't want to miss any of these amazing adventures with other sexy, open-minded friends, then go and book your spot today. Go do it before it's too late. And for more information about these trips or any of the topless travel events, you can always go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the topless travel events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. 
Absolutely. All righty. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. Let's get back to our show. It is now time for our favorite part of the show because we get to talk about great sex because... (laughs) Great sex matters and we all deserve it. So yeah, we've been having a great discussion with Max and he's been telling us a little bit about his movie that he's made already, but I'd like to get more into the details of the culture of BDSM and the actual sessions that are performed by the dominatrix, which I thought were absolutely fascinating. The way that you portrayed them... Um, the, the the beautiful relationships that they had with their subs. I thought it was absolutely well done. So I did read somewhere that kink and BDSM can be therapeutic. Is that something that you believe in? Well, I mean, <laughs> therapeutic is a, is a word like many, I suppose, that means different things to different people. In a clinical level, uh, I would probably say I would caution people against it on a realistic, on a personal level, yes, very much so. But you could argue everything is therapeutic on one level or not. Um, I think that everyone does what they do for different reasons. One of the first observations I made was walking into a dungeon watching, you know, 20 couples spanking each other or some getting spanked. And I'm like, oh, this is boring. Everybody obviously just likes to get spanked. And then, and then I realized for every one of those couples, something else was going on. Some it was therapeutic. Some it was like uh, feeling a, like I'm a good girl or I'm a good boy. Some of it was uh, somebody who was actually dominant that liked to get spanked and maybe had their their uh, submissive do it. Uh, some people was you know working through some sort of trauma, some sort of issues from wherever. So the bottom line is it's it's you can only answer those questions on an individual level, but it does certainly allow you to be very experimental. For example, if you, you know, you're, you're interested in trying something, maybe you just want to give it a little go. It allows you to say, look, I've never tried X. Um, Would you be interested in doing X for five minutes? So I get a chance of X and see how I feel about X. It allows you to do those kinds of little, um, call it therapy, call it therapeutic, call it sessions as most do. And certainly that's got to be useful Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in helping people work through their stuff. But, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't define it as on a, you know, therapeutic on any kind of like professional level, but I do believe it has therapeutic qualities for sure. Well, several years ago, we watched the TV show Billions and the attorney Mm -hmm. general, he has, um, a dominatrix who does his and his, his wife. and his wife both right mm-hmm. he has both um, and it seemed to me at the time that he did it for a therapeutic you know result it felt like he was going there to get rid of stress and anxiety I mean his job was super stressful so I kind of felt that um, there it seemed to me anyways at that time that that was the reason that he was following those practices. Yeah, I, I love that show. I think it's the only opening show that starts with him being pissed on by, uh, I mean, like a hash or something like that. I mean, uh, what a wonderful beginning to a to a show. Um, you know, again, nothing in life is black and white. Uh, I would argue, in his case, from my interpretation, my understanding is like, yes, it was to sort of scratch an, an itch and be help him release the stress, but that notion that. There's a bunch of sort of rich white guys that go to dominatrices to get, you know, um, to deal with all the bad shit they did in the day. It's a bit of a cliche. There may be a little truth in it, but it, it, I think from the way the characters developed over the seasons, I think he's just a hardcore masochist ah, okay. that would like to do this a lot more often if he could. <laughs> 
but uh, and he can you know and he could have probably afford to do it. It just recognizes these in a situation which the world's not necessarily ready for him becoming the next. I mean, Anthony Weiner situation. Guy sent dick pics. Okay, as a, impolite, I would say, but I don't think he actually loses his job over it. But it's not like he should be a, a punchline and a joke just because he sent a few dick pics. But whatever. I guess it's the last name too. <laughs> It's ironic, I guess. All right, let's get back to the movie. So in the movie, you you break BDSM down into four stages of, of types of experience. There's negotiation, consent, play, and aftercare. Let's talk about the importance of each one of those in the uh, BDSM or kink lifestyle. I'm glad you saw that because for me, that was the most important. If people remember nothing, I just want them to remember that circle. Because that's it. That's all you got to remember. And it applies to everything. Um, you know, the, that idea of negotiating, talking and being honest. And, you know, you can be as honest as you can. You know, unfortunately, everybody has been programmed with a certain amount of shame. I think that's where a lot of the um, problems come from is we have a lot of unnecessary. I, I agree shame is useful and there are things we should feel shameful about. But it, but 90 percent of the things that people feel shameful about are ridiculous. You know, their body or their or, you know, is somebody going to like me or is my whatever? I mean, it's ridiculous. But, you know, there are things, you know, it basically boils down to consent. But having those negotiations without shame and openness and that kink thing about it may not be my kink, but, you know, that's OK. We can talk about it. And there's a lot of things that I've heard that I'm really not that interested in. But and I might have sort of judged people a little too quickly, too. So, I mean, I'm you know, we're not we're, you learn what you learn, but to have that ability, just have open, frank, friendly discussions where there's no one has to feel weird about bringing up whatever kink that they have. And then seeing if there is something you could agree on and consent to try. I love to, to explain to my uh, vanilla friends that they're missing all the fun because often they'll try and typically try and you know get a girl and they're they're working everything they can do to try and get x you know they want to get x they want x they don't get x and they walk away well if you like that person so much why don't you try and get a b c d e f g too uh, and you might end up getting x as well but you know you why they just because you can't get x right away doesn't and you like someone why not work it out you may get the full alphabet you know, but people are so small minded about all the things that you can do. And they're so worried that, oh, if we're going to be naked, that means that this has to happen. And no, nothing has to happen in spite of however you were dressed or not dressed. You know, that's the beauty of kink. Uh, or I assume it's the same in the swinging lifestyle where it's like you have an invitation or you don't have an invitation. Yeah, doesn't yeah. matter what else is going on. And that allows people that safe space to have very, very clear experimental things to try and advance themselves and to, to play. And then the last thing about aftercare is like, okay, you know, we're not, we're only human. We make mistakes. So we thought we were cool to do something and maybe we pushed it a little too far. Maybe we didn't push it far enough, actually. So you talk about like, how was that for you? Did I go too far? And you might just as likely gone, I wish you'd gone farther. Uh, or, or, or no, you did, but like have that thing and then, okay, well, shall we try again? Let's, let's do it again. That circle is such a beautiful thing where you can keep everybody safe. You can stay relatively close to, you know, 
finding some sort of honest, pure consent kind of thing and keep experimenting. So that that's the most important thing for me is just let people have honest discussions, make sure they have clear, informed, enthusiastic consent. And that when they play, they also check in with those people at the end and uh, follow that and you're going to get have a lot more fun, you know. And within the negotiations and the consent parts is where they the boundaries are very clearly established and agreed upon so that you can get go that far and then stop when I say stop or don't go that far because I know already I don't want to do that. And I think that's very cool. We don't really know how to impose boundaries on ourselves. That's something in our lives that we don't always learn how to do. So when you're given the permission to put boundaries right away, it allows you to be a little bit more adventurous because you have to trust your partner. And so when you say, I will try this up to this point, and then next time you might want to try further and, and maybe not. But I love the fact that we can openly talk about boundaries and then feel safe to try those things. But you know, babe, when we were at Hito in February, and we were playing in that orgy in the playroom, um, before we started playing, we got into that circle and everybody spoke about what their boundaries were and who was into what and who could do what. And it made playing after so much more relaxed because you weren't worried about doing something wrong to someone or doing something or doing something to someone that you hadn't necessarily agreed upon. Agreed upon. It, it's, yeah. it's so similar. And in an orgy, for example, things can go wrong. So this couple, these couples that organize orgies, they always have this safe space at the beginning where we say what we're not into. Just make it very clear. I'm like, I don't like my hair pulled uh, or I'm really into deep throating. So make sure that cock goes down far. Whatever it is that I you want there. to tell. <laughs> I was there. Whatever it is that you want to say about yourself, because very often in orgies, it's, it's not people you know. And so it's a quick negotiation, but very similar. What happened What happened when I said I wanted a triple blowjob? I think you got it, no? No, you said no. You already had a double blowjob. That's enough <laughs> for you tonight. Did I say that? You I did. don't remember. Yes, yes, I'm yes. not controlling you. All right, so. all, right, all, right. all right, let's get on to the different well, types. Consent can change from one day to the other. Absolutely. You yes. know, just because that was the way it was yesterday doesn't mean that that's the way it is tomorrow. That's yeah. the most important thing people need to understand is that just because someone consented to something once doesn't mean that automatically. And that's the, the big mythology I think the general public has. Right. Oh, I've said yes to an orgy. That means I now have to be an orgy bunny and everyone can do anything. No, you could change your mind. You can adjust. You can learn. And if anyone doesn't respect those boundaries, then fuck them. It's their problem. Right. You know, that's the thing that people just don't get. Even the woman in the documentary was like, Am I going to have to do things to these people? Do I'm there? Do I have to? Do, am I going to be able? It's like no, you actually have more control at a kink party than you walking into your regular uh, disco. So, so what was what was the concept of having this newbie wife? I'm assuming she had a boyfriend or husband on the other end of the phone, having her part of the documentary because she really played the role super well. It was it was uh, it was it was legit. I didn't know how she was gonna. Um, I wanted, and I think I talk about it in the film, I wanted somebody outside of this world to sort of verify that these people weren't as crazy as I think that some people think they are. It's easy to make a, if you're a swinger, everybody seems cool because you're then everybody else is right. It's nice to get someone from outside that community to sort of see, do they, can they see how it goes? The validation. So she really was kind of like my sober driver. Just like, you know, I, and I, I didn't know, I mean, I, I didn't admit her, I'd met her traveling years before. And frankly, I was interested in her personally. Um, but I, I immediately clocked how dominant she was. 
she didn't really realize it was. She was like very like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Very strong, dominant woman. And so we just became friends. But, I, you know, she's not unattractive. So I did keep in touch with her. Um, and then when I thought about someone to bring in, I thought I would love to get a dominant person who doesn't realize they're dominant and see what they think. So I threw her into it thinking that she'd probably figure it out going through this course. And then she realized it was her nature. And she finally understand for the first time she, you know, she had, she's not unattractive, but she'd not had a lot of successful relationships except for with typically military boys, oh, military okay. boys. If anyone knows the military love saying yes, ma'am, no, no. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I mean, they're very, they're trained very much. They love the hierarchical thing. So she, is perfect for that kind of guy. And so she met a lovely military boy and she's been happily married, happily married since and has two beautiful daughters, wow. you know, and it made her understanding that she wasn't a typical person. I mean, most male or female, uh, there's only a small percentage of people that are actually that naturally dominant. Most people are switchy uh, and a lot of people are submissive, but you know, it's a small percent. She, but I knew she was, and I was just happy to have her discover that in real time. I thought it was very cool. And what I liked, she made a comment about um, the other ladies who were during, who were the teachers, I guess, uh, about how they were psychologists. Now, I don't know if they're trained psychologists, but there certainly is a psychology behind BDSM. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, both of her teachers, actually, one, they're both trained psychologists. Um, well, uh, psychology in the sense that I think there's different, different models of personalities. One has 16 different types about, you know, using various ranges of extrovert, introvert, explore different kinds of things. But, you know, psychology is just another way of trying to figure us out. And there's been different models. I mean, the Freudian model uses id, superego, uh, you know, there's different models. But it's just a way to try and understand who we are based on the knowledge that we have. But it's a bit, I've always thought it's a bit like a blind person touching an elephant, trying to describe what an elephant feels like to, or what an elephant is. Depending on what part you're touching, you're going to get a different answer. Mm -hmm. I just like the idea of people being open about on a more micro level, like what turns you on today? You like feet, you like uh, rubber, you like this, you like that. What's, you know, can be today, it can be your whole life. And how do you, what role do you want to play right now? And what sensation do you want? And that letting people figure out that beautiful sort of multifaceted cornucopia of who we really are. And from that point of view, the psychology is, is you figure out your own psychology, you know, don't let other people label you. Cool. So in the movie, you show a multitude of different types of um, play kink, play BDSM experiences from spanking to flogging to bondage and, and all that other stuff. Are these things that were your kink and you wanted to show a little bit about who you were? Or did you think this is, you know, the 80% of what the world wants to see? Um, neither, actually. Um, it's just what I got. If I'm honest. I mean, I, I followed these people along and... Uh, you know, you're not typically invited into people's boudoirs and whatever that much. So these were thing, the things that I captured. And uh, I used what I had captured uh, relative to the people I'd captured. But no, there was no, um, 
you know, analytical decision to use certain kinds of things uh, over other things. In fact, I suppose the stuff that's a little bit more explicit, I chose not to use. But no, it was just that's what I captured. I mean, that's kind of the, the journey of a documentary filmmaker is you start off looking for X and maybe you end up getting A, B, C, D and whatever. Yeah. So I, it's what I got along the way, you know. Well, it's very titillating. The, all the different aspects uh, I found very titillating. I think people will be very satisfied to see different parts of the world, the kink world, uh, in your documentary, because I think you covered a lot of them. I tried to cover as much as I can, but the main objective it really is just for people to open up their mind and and to be open to these things and have these conversations, because you know, we all want to have better sex. We all want to have better relationships. We all want to have this. And sometimes the hard bit is giving anyone some sort of concrete things they can do to move in that direction. And to introduce a world to people where it's okay to say what you like and talk to people about what you like and find partners that might be interested in an open and honest way, which I think the kink world is very much, and I'm sure the swing world is very similar are great places to start and not to be afraid because you think somehow you're going to be obliged to be a, a rag doll or a, or a, or a slave bottom or something just because you're entering the world to understand, no, no, you have full agency. You have full ability to take as much or as little from that as you want, you know, and to explore at your speed. I think that really offers people a wonderful opportunity to, find happiness to find more joy in their life and to be less afraid of what it is to go to a swing party or an orgy or a gangbang or a kink party or whatever. It doesn't mean you have to do anything that you don't want to do. Mm. And you might, you're probably going to doing more than you thought you would do, but whatever, it, you don't have to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a second and talk about our good friend, Goddess Phoenix, who has a prominent role in your documentary. Uh, she's been on many Bliss Cruises with us. She's performed. Um, she's flogged me in the middle of... Many, many times. ...of the, <laughs> the concourse <main> <laughs> of the uh, Royal Caribbean ship. She's been on our podcast. Let's talk about her, her personality, and, and what she brought to the movie. Well, I mean, anyone that knows Goddess Phoenix knows that she's a very quiet, reserved human being that... Uh, <laughs> rarely speaks just kind of quietly sit i'm kidding um no she's a wonderful strong example of somebody that is just so open and so engaged she loves what she do does and uh is happy to explain it and to work with all sorts of people all over the world and uh, she kind of embodies what you know the, the message of the film in many ways it's just you know you can be wild and crazy doesn't mean uh, you, you still have to do anything you want to do, but you know, it's, it's both having that caretaker, but also the, the guy, there's a concept in storytelling and filmmaking about every film starts with crossing from a known world to the unknown world. You're starting from the safe place and you're now off in star Wars land or whatever, but usually there's an angel or somebody that helps you make that crossing. That's her. Oh. That's what she does. Yeah. She's the person that helps to take you from where you're comfortable with to an unknown world, but you feel safe with her guidance to make that cross. So she's one of those. I think they call them uh, angels of sorts, I suppose. Well, that, that little angel is a hell of a devil when she pulls out her whip and cracks it <laughs> and the whole ship of 4,000 people stops and said, who the hell did that? <laughs> right. <laughs> she she is just an incredible dominatrix. She teaches it. She's won many competitions at DomCon. 
and which um, part of the documentary is filmed there. And uh, she's just a wonderful person and goddess Phoenix. Hopefully we'll see you on Bliss in November. Yeah. Right? It's coming and up And you know soon. what I really enjoyed? That you spend a lot of time with her slave who's, I forgot his name now, but he's she's he Robin. has been her slave for a long time. And I, I never really met a slave before. I didn't really understand the concept of it. And that was something that really uh, intrigued me in your film. And I'd never really seen that that side of the BDSM world. So I thought that was very cool that you brought that in as well and spent enough time explaining it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, as, as much as I love goddess Phoenix, um, Robin was the more interesting to me because it was rarer to get yeah. an articulate man to talk about the fact that he liked to have women whip him, yeah. <laughs> you know? And like, I mean, it had been done, as a, in a judgmental way in other films and stuff where like, Oh, there's something so wrong with this guy. He goes and does this, but I don't think it had ever been done in a way that, Hey, this is what I like. I love the line where he talks about, he discovered fairly early that he would throw a uh, garbage and miss the trash can. And the teacher would spank him. He quite liked that. You know, in, in many ways, I, I so it was a joke. It's like, if the teacher was smart, the punishment would have been not getting spanked. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they were smart enough to uh, realize that's out there. Yeah, exactly. So listen, we are getting to the end of the show and it's flown by because it was a very, very cool topic to discuss. But uh, we like to leave our audience with some advice. So what would you say would be the first two things that people should do if they want to pursue a BDSM lifestyle and join the community? Um, read as much as you can and be ready to try and establish connections and conversations with people, however you want to do it, in an open frank manner and if people are the kind of people that want to judge you fast those are not going to be the kind of people you want to hang out with you need to have people that are open-minded and just in your mind be ready to to try and find those people go to munches have those conversations and 50 shades of gray is a great little test thing have you seen it you like it you know if they like it but they my favorite answer was always i liked it but i think they i understand they did a lot wrong yes that's the right answer (laughs) And then have a conversation about, so what do they get wrong? Well, you know, it was a bit of cliche, you know. The favorite Uh, part of your movie, of Touch. The favorite part of my movie, I think, was the last thing that January says about how she just wants BDSM to be a thing that people like. It's just a thing. It's nothing. Don't get too your panties in a knot here, kids. It's just a thing. If you're interested in this thing, you know, learn about this thing. And I think you'll find it rewarding as opposed to something people might lose friends or family or jobs and over have any issues, you know, and and that's all it is for me is I just want it to be a thing that some people like, just like, I mean, Hey, Alan Turing in 1947 was chemically castrated for being gay. You know, uh, there's a lot of people I think you can't lose a job for being gay, but I think you'll probably still lose a job for being kinky. We need to get past that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Are we at the end? I think we are. Already. <laughs> Holy moly. Todd, Max, Gary, thank you so much for being here today, sharing all that great information, for putting together this amazing documentary. Hopefully someday someone will put something out similar to this with as much education on the swinging lifestyle because we have seen some stuff out there that is not accurate, it is not credible. Your documentary absolutely is. 
Um, why don't you remind people how they can um, find out more about you? Uh, we know on our website, we're going to tell everyone when it's actually released and where it is. But if they just wanted to um, find your website, social media, what would they do? Touch kink. That's it. You can use the hashtag touch kink. Google touch kink. It's going to send you to my website. Um, I've started the, the hashtag touch kink is probably the easiest directs you to most things because it's also connected to a whole sort of campaign about consent and understanding dealing with a lot of the, the cliches about kink or swell, but anything alternative uh, outside of the normal, like, you know, what's right, what's wrong, what, what people misunderstand. So touch kink. Perfect, perfect. And of course, if you miss any of this information, you can just go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where all of our guests have their own guest page with all their information, and you can even contact them there if they if you have any questions about their work. Absolutely. And you know, we're learning more and more every week from all our great guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you know, you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Alrighty. Wow. The end of another great show with, a, with another great guest, Todd Max Carey. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much. Appreciated uh, having a chance to speak with you lovely people. And as we do every week, we want to thank all our listeners for being here week in and week out. And join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course... Stay sexy and a little bit kinky. Until <laughs> next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new. Spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. <laughs>